you're listening to Paideia, and I'm your host, Cassie Michael. On today's episode, I'll be wrapping up Ender's Game with a discussion of the book as a whole, and whether or not I'm going to read the other books in the series. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) So... To wrap up what happened and the plot of all of Ender's Game, um, I would say this book takes place over many years, um, about six years or so. A young boy um, has been evaluated to see whether he has potential to become a great military leader. When this boy is six, he gets a monitor removed from him, he gets in a fight with a boy at school, and then he gets taken from his family and he goes to battle school. At battle school, this boy is isolated and he learns to excel. He's put to the test and he makes friends, loses friends, and um, he excels. He is the best um, that this school has ever seen. That boy is Ender. Ender graduates from battle school in record time, just four years. He has some leave at home where he sees his sister, Valentine, the only one in his family who he loves and will always love. Valentine is a tool Um, being used against Ender, and she convinces him to go on to command school. At command school, Ender engages in stimulations and learns from the previous star commander, Mazer Rakim, who defeated um, the Buggers, which is the enemy that the international fleet, the military, has been preparing Ender to defeat. Um... These bugger wars and this threat of the bugger invasion is why Ender was allowed to be born in the first place. Um, Through stimulations, or what Ender thinks are simulations, the bugger war is ended and the humans win the third invasion. Um, Ender and his sister Valentine go off to colonize the bugger worlds and Ender becomes the speaker for the dead. And that is, in a nutshell, what happens in Ender's game. Overall, I think this is a really great book. I think it is engaging to read, and there is some very powerful prose in it. Um, Some quotes that, like, the writing and the prose, it's just so good. I just had to read them out loud because it would just add so much to my discussion. Um, I think there's a lot, if I think about it through like the literary elements and um, literary value, we've got plot. It's there. Um, Sometimes the plot moves faster, sometimes it moves slower, but this book has got a solid plot. It has an exposition, 
Um, it has rising action. I'm not sure what I would say the climax is. Probably the climax is that last battle when Ender is, he thinks it's this um, simulation and it's his last simulation against Mazer Rakim um, to graduate command school and really he's just won the third invasion. That would be the climax. Then we have um, falling action and we have in my mind what is a good resolution and denouement. Um, we know what happens to the characters or to the main characters. Ender and Valentine travel world to world, um, Valentine writing history, and Ender acting as speaker for the dead, sharing the bugger's point of view and the bugger's story. Um, and for me, we know Peter, he's died um, of old age, and Peter achieved his goals of world domination. Um, we have a good ending for Dink and Petra and Bean. They all get to go back to their families, and we can assume that they live happily ever after. Um, so, in my mind, there's resolution. There's an ending. And I'm not left wondering... Um, what happened or how are these characters doing how are they feeling um obviously more books were written so the story continues um but it's not like the ending of this book is a cliffhanger and a big like you know, it's not something where you have to read the next book right away because you need to know what happens immediately. There's a very good sense of resolution um, to this. Um, the main problem or threat in the book was the bugger wars. In a way, that has, is what drove the whole plot of this story from Ender being allowed to be born as a third to Ender leaving his family. Um, it's what motivated Ender in battle school and that sense of responsibility to humanity against the threat of the buggers that made him go to command school. And so, in a way, this story was resolved when the war was over and the threat was over and everything else that we got is just more resolution. Um, I have a feeling of closure. Um, so I might read the next books. I might not. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we, if I have the next books or how I would access them. Um, I might not make those next books um, episodes of the podcast, and um, I'll likely move on to something else. Um, it's up in the air. Like I said, I feel closure, and I feel resolution with this one story. To me, it stands on its own, and it has so much value and so much weight 
on its own. And I'm not itching to read the next thing. Um, I got a lot out of this first novel, but I also feel I got closure. Um, yeah. And, you know, it has character development. Um, we see character development in Ender, and we see it in Valentine, we see it in Peter, and maybe we see it in Colonel Graf, even. Um, you know, Ender, he starts off as a young kid, um... He is sad that he got his monitor taken out. Um, he cries a lot, twice in a day, and battle school hardens him. He doesn't cry, and he develops into a leader. And then even after the war has ended, he develops again. He learns new skills, and he becomes a different type of leader, and leading civilians is it takes different qualities than leading the military takes and Ender acknowledges that and he finds those qualities within himself and he adjusts um you know he definitely develops as he should any growing child should develop um you know we see Peter um, who is prone f towards violence and he's he likes violence and he's strong and he's ruthless but he becomes more calculated and he knows how to use um, violence more effectively um, he knows how to make people think that he is not violent and that he is not dangerous. Even Valentine says that he changed. Um, when she's talking to Ender to get him to go to command school, she says Peter's changed. And this isn't like when Peter convinced her to become demonstices. She's not second-guessing whether or not it's true that he's changed, she's stating that he has changed. So I'm inclined to believe that um, Valentine thinks Peter has truly changed. And that shows character development. Um, Valentine also develops. She becomes powerful in her own right through demonstices and through her own wit and smarts and ability to navigate relationships. Um, you know, I think one of the major themes or conflicts also in the book is the conflict of identity and this struggle with identity we see it with Ender and Valentine primarily, um, but that struggle with identity, it also helps enable the character development. Um, so yeah, 
and we have a lot of conflict here. Obviously, we have the major conflict of um, the bugger war, and that's a person versus person or maybe a society versus society conflict. We have the um, person versus self conflict of identity. We have um, society versus person conflict in that um, the society is putting kids through battle school and battle school is hard. It has conflicts. It has problems and it's challenging and that's a challenge and a conflict society puts on these children um and maybe you could argue that there's even like person versus nature conflict um with the conflict with gravity and learning how to manage your movement in null gravity um so this book has lots of conflict and it also has lots of themes themes of love definitely um themes of um power um responsibility and themes of like what humanity is and what humanity means um, themes of what is right and what is just, um, which are all really big and important themes to think about. So from an evaluation of literary elements, plot, um, oh, I guess I didn't talk about setting. Um, we have a setting in the future. And um, the setting, it acts as a context for the story. Um, it doesn't really act as an, an, as an antagonist, as the person versus nature conflict of gravity um, and how to work with gravity and manipulate gravity and move in null gravity is one of the more minor conflicts. So I wouldn't say that the setting acts as an antagonist, but instead it is context. Um, it provides context that this happens in the future. Um, and in the future, the world is not the same world we live in. Um, the setting provides context for what happens and for the lengths that the world goes to beat the buggers and for the, um, one might argue, cruel and perhaps unnecessary step of taking children from their families to train to be in the military. Um, setting is context for all of that. And the world building done by Orson Scott Card is pretty good. You can envision things and um, there's a lingo for the wor world and um, he does a pretty good job. So we have a strong plot. We have a strong setting. Um, we have... 
strong characters who change and who develop. We have strong themes. We have strong conflict. Um, it really is very high in literary merit and value. Um, when thinking about like the sci-fi genre, um, you know, sci-fi genres, it should suspend disbelief, you know? And I think the way this book suspends disbelief is in that all of this is happening to children. And, you know, it's very hard to believe that these characters are children. The passage of time um, is also kind of hard to believe. Um, I would call this more low science fiction as... Um, the world is somewhat recognizable to us. It's not our world, and there are changes to it, but it's not like it's all taking place in space on planets that we've never heard of. Um, yes, the battle school isn't on Earth, but it's connected to Earth. And yes, command school is on a completely different planet, but just the structures of society and having recognizable places on earth as part of the settings, I would classify it as more low um, sci-fi than like high sci-fi as Star Wars might be. That doesn't mean that it's not as good as Star Wars or that um, it's any lesser quality. It just means that um, there's, like, less suspension of disbelief and more elements of the book that are easier to believe and to imagine, um, than elements that are unbelievable or unrecognizable. Um, so yeah, it, it's a pretty, pretty good book when, viewed through the different literary elements. Um, as a reader, um, and reading for enjoyment, it was pretty good. It wasn't one of the best books I've ever read. It wasn't one that, like, I started reading and I couldn't put down, but it also wasn't a book that I didn't um, I enjoyed reading it while I read it. It wasn't one of those books that I start reading and I try really hard to get into, but I can't finish. When I read it, I enjoyed reading it. Um, but like I said, it was a book that I could put down. Um, it wasn't one that I couldn't stop reading and that's how I normally am when I read a book. I can't stop reading it. Um, when I reread Hunger Games, could not put it down. And when I read reread Harry Potter, I can't put it down. Um, so, yeah. 
I think this is a worthwhile book for people to read. Um, I think it can kind of shed a light on our society and where we might go and, you know, through discussion of themes or through even just reflection or thinking about some of the themes and some of the decisions, it can help us learn our own values or clarify our beliefs and values. Um, and it could also be like a warning that like, you know, this is a way that society could turn out. Um, and we have to decide if what is presented in the book of that society, we can make a moral judgment and decide if we want to stop our society from coming back like that and I think through examining the themes um, and questioning what happens in the book we can um, relate that to our lives and to beliefs and values of people in our current day society and then maybe take action um, and even if you aren't reading to learn or aren't reading for what this, how this society can teach us about our own society, it's still an enjoyable book to read, um, and, um, it has some really powerful, really great prose, as I said in the beginning, um, so I do think it's a worthwhile book to read, I don't know if I'll be reading the rest of them. Um, so, yeah, that wraps up my thoughts on Ender's Game. Just a reminder that you can send in your thoughts, um, and I'd love for this to be more of a conversation. Um, and that link where you can send in your thoughts or record a voice message is https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash c a s s i e dash m i c h e l slash message. Um, normally I would share my own random thought or my own voicemail like thought, but I don't have one for today. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about what the podcast will look like going forward. Um, the short term plan is to do some more episodes like A River Runs Through It with um, some guests and to talk about people's favorite stories with them. Um, and so I'll be looking for guests to talk about their favorite movies, books, TV shows, musicals, um, and hopefully I will have some of those episodes, um, and I might supplement those with, um, episodes of my own discussing TV shows I've been watching or, um, what I'm reading. Um, I'm planning on doing my annual reread of Harry Potter next. 
and I'm conflicted about whether or not to podcast about it. Um, so I've read Harry Potter a lot, and there are a lot of Harry Potter podcasts, and I don't know if I want to reread um, stories on this podcast and talk about them, or if I want this to be more a collection of new stories um, and trying to branch out and learn from new things. I do think that there is value in rereading, and I think every time I read something, it changes. And, you know, I read it differently every time just because of the time I read it and what's happening in the world or my personal life when I read it. So I think there would be value in including things I reread on the podcast. I also don't know if I can slow myself down enough to make podcast episodes about Harry Potter. Um, so we'll see. Um, the first time I ever wanted to start a podcast was when I was doing a reread a few summers ago of The Hunger Games. I, you know, um, I had listened, been listening to some of the Harry Potter podcasts where they were rereading Harry Potter and talking about it. And I was rereading The Hunger Games and I was like, this would lend itself well to something like that. There's so much in these books that you can unpack and there's so many themes and, um, you know, so many uh, just like nuggets of information. Um, so that was my first ever idea for a podcast was a Hunger Games um, podcast, so, um, and I kind of want to reread Hunger Games, too, <laughs> so maybe I will do that, um, but I don't know. My best advice to you would be to look at the titles, and if the title is something that interests you, or, um, a story that interests you, then to take a listen, um, you don't have to listen to every episode. You can listen to the ones that interest you the most. Um, thanks for listening. Thank you all so much for listening to Paideia and for your support of the podcast. Um, Join me next time for an episode about the movie Cars 3. I'm excited, and I hope you are too. Have a great day, and once again, thanks for listening. This has been Paideia with Cassie Michael.